before we open up God's word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning as we open up your word that you would speak to us. Lord, you have given us the opportunity to worship you through song, to open up our hearts and our minds. You have given us evidence of your transforming power in Jeremy, Corbin, and Andrew's lives. Lord, now do what only you can do through the opening of your word. We believe that it is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Speak to us today, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to start this morning by asking you to consider four questions. Now, as you consider these questions and as you kind of answer them in your own hearts and minds, please don't raise your hands. Please don't answer verbally. But as I read the question, I'd ask that you honestly answer the question in your heart. First question, does your life feel out of control? Does your life feel out of control? Do you seem to be running here, there, never able to get a handle on what's going on in your life? A sense that things just aren't right. Question two, are you overwhelmed in the midst of personal crisis? Today, do you feel overwhelmed because you're in the midst of a personal crisis of one sort or another? Maybe it's a decision you have to make and you just don't know. You just don't know what the answer is. You don't know whether to turn to the right or to turn to the left. Maybe you just feel like life itself is a burden. Question number three. Do you feel discouraged and defeated? Do you feel discouraged and defeated? Day to day, it just doesn't feel like you're winning at anything. Life is difficult and you feel defeated and discouraged. Fourth question. Do you feel like you are spiritually empty or dry? Now, to be honest, in our lives at one time or another, we have all answered yes to one or two, three, maybe all four of these questions. And maybe you're here this morning and you've answered yes to one, two, three, maybe all four of the questions all of us at one point or another in our lives have. I have. But answering yes to these questions is an indication, is often an indication of the temperature or the health of our relationship with Jesus. You see, when we feel like life is out of control or overwhelmed in the midst of personal crisis or discouraged and defeated, we often feel spiritually empty and distant from God. Do you feel that way this morning? 
This morning, we're continuing our study in the book of Genesis and particularly the life of Jacob. And as we come to the end of Genesis chapter 34, I believe that Jacob would have answered yes to all of these questions. I believe Jacob must have felt like his life was out of control, overwhelmed in the midst of his personal crises, felt discouraged and defeated, and was certainly a long way from God. At the end of chapter 34, Jacob's life is a mess. But it's interesting, it didn't just start for Jacob in Genesis chapter 34. 30 years before Genesis 34, God met with Jacob as Jacob was fleeing his brother Esau. And if you remember, God met with Jacob. He spoke to Jacob and he declared to Jacob that he was going to bless him. If you'll remember the story, it happened at Bethel. Jacob had a vision and he saw angels ascending and descending from heaven on a staircase. And this was God's way of reaching out to Jacob in this vision and explaining to him calling him, offering Jacob his blessing. Jacob responded by vowing to follow God and by vowing to return to Bethel. God kept his part of the deal. Jacob prospered financially. He had 11 sons and one daughter. Many blessings throughout his life. God even brought Jacob back to Canaan. But Jacob stopped short of Bethel. Jacob didn't complete the journey by returning to Bethel. Jacob stopped short of where God wanted him to be. And as a result, his life was out of control. He was overwhelmed in the midst of personal crisis, feeling discouraged and defeated because he was a long way from God. If you're not there already, please take your Bibles, open them up and turn to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35, it's found on page 29 in the Bible that the church provides. Since every one of us will face times where we feel distant from God, where life is out of control, where we feel overwhelmed in the midst of a personal crisis, where we feel discouraged and defeated, Genesis 35 provides us with a way back, provides us with a pattern for the way back to intimacy with God. In chapter 35, there are three steps to help us draw near to God. Step number one, recognize the faithfulness of God. Step number two, get rid of your idols. Step number three, obey and do what God has already asked you to do. Three steps to draw near to God, to grow in intimacy with God, which allows God to transform our lives. It allows God to make each one of us more like Jesus. 
And the more you become like Jesus, the more you are likely to answer no to all four of these questions. Did you hear me? The more you are like Jesus, the more likely you are to answer no to all four of these questions. So let's look at the steps together. First, step number one, remember or recognize his faithfulness. Genesis 35 is a great testimony to God's faithfulness. If you are struggling today, it should be a great encouragement to you to draw you near to God. Now, as I read the events of Genesis 34, I would have had expected God, you may have expected God to say to Jacob, you know what, Jacob, I'm done with you. I promise to bless you. I tell you that you are going to be a blessing to the nations. And instead of being a blessing to the nations, you decide to go out and kill people. I would have thought God would have said to Jacob, you know what, I've had enough. I'm going to find someone else to be my guy. I'm going to find somebody else to lead my people. But that's not what God says. God expresses his devotion to the promise that he made to Jacob. He expresses his faithfulness because God keeps his promises. Look at 35 verse one. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Now to me, that's encouraging. God is faithful. Even after the disasters of Genesis 34, God speaks to Jacob and he speaks words of encouragement and instructions, words intended to bring Jacob close to him. God is calling Jacob back to where they had their first encounter. And this is where renewal begins. It is recognizing God's faithfulness and going back to the place where you first met God. Remember what Jacob said after his first experience with God in Genesis chapter 28? After he had the vision, he says, when, it says when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Jacob thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. This is none other than the house of God. Jacob recognized that he had met with God and so he renames this place where he met with God, Bethel, which means the house of God. Jacob was distant from God. He was away from God's presence and leading. And now God says to Jacob, God initiates the conversation because of his faithfulness. And he says to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. In other words, don't move out of my presence anymore. Revisit the place where you first met me and it will cause you to draw close. Now you may be thinking to yourself if you're like me, well, that's really nice. It's really nice that God decided to speak to Jacob because I'm not sure God's speaking to me. Maybe I know or I, you're thinking, you're sitting there thinking, you know God's not speaking to you. 
Well, I would suggest this morning that you are wrong. God is actually speaking to you. He's actually speaking to you right now, right here this morning. If you answered yes to any one of those four questions, God is speaking to you this morning through his word, through Genesis chapter 35. And he's telling you, go up to your Bethel. Go up to your Bethel and settle there. Now for you, your Bethel may be the place where you first met Jesus and called him your Lord and Savior. Your Bethel may be the place or the time when God answered your prayer and provided you with healing. Your Bethel may be the time when God called your prodigal back to himself. There are any number of situations which may be your Bethel. God is calling you back to your Bethel to settle there and to recognize his faithfulness. But I think for us this morning, there's something a bit more specific in this text. You see, I think God has a specific Bethel in mind for each one of us here at Calvary Church. You see, I actually think that for all of us at Calvary, our Bethel is Calvary Church. It is the house of God. It is the place that God has called you to, to remember and to recognize his faithfulness. This is the place that he draws us to where we come together every Sunday morning and see what God has been doing and what God is going to be doing. We see and we remind each other of God's faithfulness. We gather here every Sunday morning to recognize together that God is real and that he is good. He is faithful and he keeps his promises. I love what the psalmist writes in Psalm 100. The psalmist writes this, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now look at this next slide in the top verse. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This morning you have entered his gates. You are in his court and he calls each one of us. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Calvary Church is our Bethel. It is the place that he has called you. It is the place that he has called me to recognize and to remember his faithfulness. When we are alone, it is difficult sometimes to acknowledge, to remember, to recognize the faithfulness of God. So God calls us together in this community, in this Bethel, together to see his faithfulness. 
go up to Bethel and settle there. Back to the text. Jacob now decides that he is going to take God seriously. He decides that he's going to obey, but first he realizes that he needs to put his sin behind him. He needs to get really serious about his sin and his family's sin. So step two is get rid of your idols, beginning in verse two. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Now it is important to note that up until this time, Jacob had a very casual attitude toward his sin, toward separation from the ungodly, and toward his own personal and his family's purity. And it is clear from these verses that he tolerated the possession of foreign gods. Even Rachel, his favorite wife, took the gods of her father with her when they left him. And in chapter 34, we saw that Jacob's household was added to with many wives and children of Canaanites who worshiped other gods. And these women and these children likely took their gods with them as well. You see, Jacob recognized that he needed to get rid of the idols. When God asked Jacob, when God told Jacob that he needed to return to Bethel, he was greatly concerned about purity. Jacob knew that there could be no approaching God in an unpure or impure condition. I wonder how seriously we as followers of Jesus take our own sin. Now you may think, well, I'm not sure this is speaking to me. I don't have any idols in my house. I don't have any little wood statues that I bow down to. I'm sure you don't. But you see, an idol is not just a little wood, metal, bronze statue that you have in your house that you bow down to. You see, an idol is anything that takes us away from worshiping God and putting God in the place of number one priority in our lives. Anything in our life that keeps us from God and his will for our lives. I would suggest that although you don't have a little wood statue or a little metal statue in your house, you likely have some idol in your life. Maybe, maybe your idol is your career. Everything in your life is subordinate to your business or climbing the ladder in your workplace. Maybe your idol is affluence. You like the nice things of life and there's never enough, 
more cars, more houses, more cottages, more things, and those things become the idols that you live for. Maybe it's your personal being or accomplishment that you're always looking out for number one. Maybe, I thought about this this past week. Somebody suggested it to me, and I think it's really good. Maybe your, it's a kind of a different kind of series of idols. Maybe your idol is your feelings. You live your life by how you feel, and those feelings can take you one way or the other. Or maybe it's security. You live your life trying to be overly protective and overly safe. Or maybe it's control. You live your life trying to control everything. Feelings, security, and control can also be idols in our lives. See, I don't think any of us have statues in our house. But almost all of us have idols in our lives. That thing that takes you away from God and his will for your life. And you want to know something? It's a bit of a secret. If you have idols in your life, you are much more likely to answer yes to the questions that I proposed at the beginning of the sermon. You see, it's not often the trial or the difficulty that is actually the problem. It's the idol that's in your life that keeps your eyes off of God who is the faithful one who is there to take care of you and meet all your needs and concerns and to instruct you in the way you should go. And the idol distracts from that. And that distraction causes you to feel like life is out of control. It causes you to be overwhelmed in the crisis. And it causes you to feel defeated and discouraged. The idol is what often causes us to answer yes to the question. And I will suggest, you may be sitting there and thinking, well, you know what? I like all those things and I don't really even feel that way. It's coming. It's coming. So what are we to do? Well, the text is very clear about how to handle this. First, first, please just don't look at the person next to you. This is God speaking to you this morning. And there are three instructions we see in the text. First, get rid of the foreign gods. Get rid of the foreign gods. This means we must identify and put away anything that hinders us drawing near to God. We could go through the list again, but I'm pretty sure right now you know exactly what that thing is that hinders your closeness with the Lord. Get rid of your foreign gods. Second, purify yourselves. This means that we must confess our sins. And this idolatry is a sin. Confess the sin and receive God's forgiveness. Third, change your clothes. In essence, this means change your outward behavior, which means changing actions, and sometimes it means changing associations. The people who are there causing you to stumble. 
And Jacob takes this seriously. Look what it says he did with all the idols. What does he do with them? Thank you. He buries them. He takes this seriously and he buries the idols. Jacob came to the point of taking his sin and purity seriously and we need to do so as well. Thirdly, Jacob did what God instructed him to do. He returned to Bethel and he built an altar to God. It's step three, do what God has already instructed you to do. A little less talk and a lot more action. That could be a country song. It actually is a country song for those of you that do not know. A little less talk and a lot more action. Verse six, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Interestingly, did you notice the name change? It is now El Bethel, not just Bethel, which means God of Bethel, the God of the house of God. It is now much more personal for Jacob. He's referring to God himself because God is in the place. Look also at verse 14, which affirms Jacob's obedience. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Jacob recognizes the three steps of drawing closer to God, recognize or remembering God's faithfulness, getting rid of the idols, and then obeying what God had already told him to do. Now look at God's response, beginning in verse nine. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. Verse 11, and God said to him, I am God almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Now it's interesting here. God doesn't really say that much new to Jacob, except that kings will be among his descendants. But I'd like you to notice three things here. First, God reconfirms Jacob's new name. God had already renamed Jacob about 10 years earlier when he wrestled with God at Peniel. But before this episode here in chapter 35, the name Israel is only used a few times and it's not used to describe Jacob personally. But after this verse, Israel begins to be used interchangeably as Jacob's name. The old name meant deceiver or trickster and this new name means prevailing with God or governed by God. It implies a deep relationship, the deep relationship that Jacob now has, Israel now has with God. He is no longer who he was. 
Jacob has actually met with God and drawn close. And God has changed him. And look at second. God reveals his name to Jacob. The Lord Almighty, El Shaddai. Now Abraham and Isaac, they knew God as the El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. But it is not until this point that God reveals himself to Jacob as El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. And God here is telling Jacob that he is sufficient, that God is sufficient to meet all his needs. And then third, God reminds Jacob of all the promises that he has made to him. And he reiterates the truth and the reality that he is going to keep them. God reiterates his faithfulness to Jacob. It's interesting to me, I'm sure at the end of Genesis 34 that Jacob is feeling distant from God. He's distant from God. He's feeling like his life is out of control. He's overwhelmed by the crises that he's in, feeling defeated and discouraged. But he hears the voice of God instructing him to return to Bethel. And as distant as he felt from God at the end of chapter 34, I can only imagine how close he felt to God as he was building, building the altar, the pillar of stone, remembering God's faithfulness throughout his life. Jacob, Israel, personally experienced the faithfulness of God in his life. Now I'd like to point out to you just briefly before I close that that didn't mean life was easy for Jacob from that point on. In chapter 35, we see that Jacob experiences some really difficult sorrows in his life. Important people hurt him or are hurt. Deborah Rebecca's nurse dies and Jacob buries her under an oak tree. The wife that he most loves, Rachel, also dies. His son Reuben commits a great offense against him. And finally, his father Isaac passes away. But throughout the chapter, Jacob is reminded of God's faithfulness. And even in the presentation of his new name, you see that Jacob is now transformed and is now closer to God because God revealed his faithfulness to him. So for us, as we close this morning, we need to be a people who remember the faithfulness of God in our lives. So I'd ask that you'd help me because this morning we are going to build a pillar of stone. And we're gonna start by remembering the day that God called us to salvation through Jesus Christ and brought you out of darkness into light what is something else where you have recognized the faithfulness of God? Call it out so I can hear it. His forgiveness in your life. 
something else where God has demonstrated his faithfulness to you. Give me something, come on. Pardon me? Mercy, providing his mercy. Give me something else. Freedom, freedom from sin. His protection, it was protection. How about healing? Can any of you recognize that God has provided healing to you? That he has given you healing, that he has given you not only life through salvation, but continued life to serve him here. There's healing that he has given. I wanna make this taller. There's healing that he has given. Hope, God has provided hope. He's provided hope for the future. He has recognized that this world is not our home that we're passing through, that someday we are gonna experience, we're gonna see him face to face. It's the promise, hope of heaven. What else? Give me something else. Pardon me? Kindness, faith. But give me an example. What's an example of his kindness? What did he do for you? Pardon me? I heard died on the cross. That's a good one. We'll go with that. Give me something else. How else has he been kind to you? Provided. I heard provided. Financially, what was the time when you couldn't make the bill, when you thought the groceries weren't going to be paid for? God shows up with the money, provides for you. I only have two more, so make them good. What? Grace, yes, he has grace. He has shown you his unmerited favor in the midst of your sin, in the midst of you turning to him. God comes and he speaks to you and he shows you his grace. He shows you his favor. Give me one more and this one has to be good because we're peeking it, topping it off. You know what? I just love that you're all yelling right now. Somebody's got to yell really loud for me to hear. I am going with shalom, <laughs> peace. The peace that passes all human understanding. That no matter what you're going through this morning, no matter what you are experiencing, if you are feeling like life is out of control, if you are overwhelmed by the crisis that you are in, if you are feeling defeated and discouraged this morning, my friends, God is reminding you this morning of his faithfulness. He has made you promises. He has promised to bless you. He has promised and given you purpose in your life. We have this incredible opportunity to show this world, which is so separated from God, that Jesus is the answer because Jesus is life. We are called to demonstrate his love by sharing his gospel because it is the only thing that transforms hearts and minds and draws people people close and he doesn't leave you alone to do it because God is faithful thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church we hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on if you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.